Oil prices are down sharply this morning on signs of slowing demand in the United States and China. And US bond yields fell after weak US manufacturing data. That's in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, ANZ Asia economist Crystal Tan dissects how the strong US dollar and high US interest rates are affecting the balances of payments in South Asia and Southeast Asia. As long as we see this backdrop of you know, a prolonged phase of elevated U.S. interest rates remain, this means that the financial account component of the balance of payments is unlikely to improve significantly. But first in 5 and 5 with ANZ, oil prices have slumped again overnight after fresh inventories data in the United States showed a weakening of demand. Slower activity in China's oil refineries are also worrying traders. West Texas intermediate prices fell almost 5% overnight to $73.06 US a barrel. US oil inventories rose by 3.6 million barrels last week to over 420 million barrels. That's more than 32 days worth of US oil output. Traders also pointed to a slowdown in throughput through China's refineries in October This weakness in the major commodity price flowed through to the commodity currencies. The Aussie dollar was off its highs by 5am Australian time at 64.71 US cents, and the Kiwi was also down slightly at 59.82 US cents. Now gold, however, was up 1% at 1,985 US dollars and 55 cents an ounce. Number two, the US 10-year Treasury yield fell back below 4.5% overnight after weaker than expected US manufacturing data. The 10-year was down six basis points at 4.47% at 5 o'clock Australian time. ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, writes this morning from London that US industrial output fell 0.6% in October. Now, that was more than the 0.4% fall expected by markets. It was driven mostly by a 10.4% fall in car and truck production because of strikes. US stocks fell overnight just a little bit, driven by weak results from Cisco and Walmart. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were both down 0.1% by 5 o'clock Australian time. Number three, ANZ senior commodity strategist Daniel Hines thinks the sell-off on oil markets in recent days on supply concerns may be overdone. He was speaking after an IEA report this week that markets took a glass-half-empty approach to. It does suggest that the sell-off's been overdone. The demand, at least up until the end of October, looked pretty uh, strong. And despite some pickups in in supply, you know, with those geopolitical risks, I think you can safely assume there's there's going to be some sort of risk premium um, implied uh, on top of that. So it does feel like the market uh, has taken all the negatives, I suppose, of the of the report. And uh, I do think you know the outlook for the market is actually a lot more positive than maybe the price action suggests. Number four, Australian jobs growth of 55,000 in October was, on the face of it, almost double market expectations. But ANZ Australia senior economist Blair Chapman says most of that growth was part-time and temporary, given a lot of jobs were created to manage the voice referendum on October the 14th. He thinks the amount of noise in this report means the RBA will look through the numbers and not change its view on interest rates, which ANZ currently sees as on hold for now. 
it's a really sort of mixed signal with the referendum at play and employment increasing for age groups we would think would work uh, on the polls. And so basically they're going to be looking through this month's numbers. Number five. Overnight, the Central Bank of the Philippines decided to hold its official policy rate unchanged. It hiked its rate to 6.5% at its previous decision. ANZ economist Debali Kasaka writes the central bank could afford to hold after a deceleration in inflation in October, but it has retained its tightening bias. Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview, in which ANZ Asia economist Crystal Tan explains how the strong US dollar and high US interest rates are affecting the balance of payments in South Asia and Southeast Asia. As long as we see this backdrop of you know, a prolonged phase of elevated U.S. interest rates remain, this means that the financial account component of the balance of payments is unlikely to improve significantly. So given this headwinds, what happens in the current account is going to play a very crucial role in distinguishing the relative current stability within Asia. So on that front, I think there are four key drivers that you need to watch. The first of which is energy prices, because many Asian economies are net energy importers. If global oil prices remain at their current levels in the low $80 per barrel range, this is good for their current account because their net energy deficits should continue to narrow. But the balance of risk is tilted to the upside given potential threat of supply disruption. So this is going to be a watch point. Another factor we're watching is food prices, because there's still a lot of uncertainties related to the severity and the impact of the current El Nino weather events. So major food importers are going to be vulnerable to the threat of a higher import bill. And the third factor we're looking at is the semiconductor sector sector and the potential opt-in there. So this sector is notorious for boom and bust cycles. We saw a sharp downturn last year, but more recent high-frequency data suggests we are now in a recovery phase. So this would benefit some of the key semiconductor exporters in the region. And finally, we're also watching the tourism recovery. So far, the resumption in global travel has been pretty uneven for Asia's net travel services balance because outbound travel had recovered faster than inbound. And this is in part due to the slower border reopening of mainland China. But now that mainland China has eased a lot of its pandemic-related restrictions, uh, this should aid the recovery in China's outbound tourism. So there's going to be scope for catch-up on this front. Let's break down the the various parts of the region that you've looked at more closely. In particular, uh, those countries, Indonesia and Malaysia, where their outlooks are not improving. Could you talk a bit about them? Yeah, so we've studied uh, six economies, India, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, South Korea, and Thailand. And among these, we think the current account dynamics will be least favorable for Indonesia. And the main reason is because of its deteriorating terms of trade, because prices of its key commodity export, which is coal, has lagged that of commodities that it imports, such as oil and rice. And Indonesia is also not going to be a beneficiary of the semiconductor uptick because it's not a major player in this sector. And in terms of Malaysia? Malaysia, we think, would be kind of in the middle of the pack. If oil prices do spike, it will be a beneficiary, given that it's a net oil exporter. On the other hand, it is a net food importer. So if 
prices for food increases significantly, then that's going to be a pressure point for its current account. And how about India? India is also kind of in the middle of the pack. So it is a net food exporter, so it's less vulnerable to a spike in the input bill, but it is a net energy importer. So again, very vulnerable to potential spikes in higher oil prices. Korea, though, um, is or South Korea is seeing a, an improvement. What's going on there? Yeah, Korea's current account should enjoy some tailwinds and this particularly from an upturn in the semiconductor sector. The memory chip segment in particular looks poised for a cyclical rebound. So this is going to be good for South Korea because it's very dominant in this segment and it also has the ability to leverage on AI-related demand, which has been a key driver behind improving global chip sales. And Thailand would be one of those most affected by the downturn in outbound travel from China into Asia. Is that right? That's right. So a, a U-turn on that front, if the Chinese outbound tourism recovery gains traction, is going to be most favourable for Thailand, given its economic structure, how dependent it is on foreign tourists, and especially mainland Chinese tourists. ANZ's Crystal Tan there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Friday, November the 17th. Catch you on Monday with a preview of the week ahead in global markets. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.